I'm Debbie Manning. I'm one of the pastors here at the table. And um, I have, I was out of town last week, so I wasn't here, but I have this sense of, wow, we are back. And it's so hopeful, and there's so much to talk about right now, so I'm going to try to keep it tight. But first and foremost, um, Lent is around the corner, like days away. And we're kicking off this 40-day journey to the cross by collaborating with Bethlehem Lutheran for the very first time. We're partnering with them um, with a service that they do, and a few of us will be a part of that. A few of our kids will be a part of it. It's very family-friendly. It's at 545 this Wednesday, March 2nd. Um, music and message and an experiential piece that sounds really meaningful where there's a blessing that's done um, intimately at stations. So we really encourage everybody to come. It just sounds like a wonderful way for us to kick off the Lenten season. Hey, the other thing, and Lynn Giovanelli, a shout out to you for bringing to my attention Kate Bowler's Lenten series, her Lenten book, A Good Enough Lent. So we're going to encourage everyone here, go out to Amazon, go to wherever you go, get Kate Bowler's Lenten devotional book, A Good Enough Lent. And we are going to be talking about that on Wednesday nights starting March 9th via Facebook Live. We're going to encourage people to gather as groups or individuals, whatever you're comfortable with. And Matt and I will be meeting and talking about different aspects of that book and hopefully having some good conversations with you guys out there as well. So we're really excited about that. Um, gosh, there's a lot. We, and this is very exciting, we hired someone for our kids' director. Woo! Her name is Stephanie Lutke. She's going to be, her title will be Minister of Faith Formation. And what I love is she suggested that. She's got huge training, a theology background and um, education in music and lots and lots of experience on uh, kids and teaching and you name it, creative uh, worship. Um, I think we all were sold when um, her, her, her field work was when she was doing in seminary, um, what was it, Jonathan? The theology of kids in worship. So we thought, that, that's a good one. But she, um, all of us that were on the team, and I'll introduce you to the team when we introduce Stephanie on March 13th. That'll be her first day. She's going to spend the first few weeks just kind of hanging out, getting to know parents and kids, um, observing. And she comes with just an incredible experience of creating um, more than curriculum, but um, creating and empowering kids to know and love Jesus. So we're really excited to have Stephanie with us. That was such a big, huge answer to prayer. And I, I've cited Jonathan Keller so much because our interview with her, she walked out of the room and John said, did you guys notice how we were trying to convince her about how great the table was at the end? <laughs> Not your typical interview, but she was, feels like the right person at the right time. So we're really, really grateful for that. Um, beyond that, if you want to get connected because you're not, just text TABLE to 33222 and we will get you everything you need to know about what's going on in the church. And there's going to be a lot more going on now that we're back together. So we're really hopeful about all those things. We're also so grateful for um, the way you guys have so generously continued to support the TABLE. It has allowed us to be the church in these very uncertain times. And there is a sense like we, we've, we've made it and we're moving forward, um, light at the end of the tunnel. So thank you. We're grateful for that. Um, oh, yes, probably a really important thing. Thank you, Maggie. Um, next week 
If you guys um, aren't aware of this, but about four times a year, Bethlehem Lutheran has a music series right here in their sanctuary. So we move to a room downstairs and we move our time. So next Sunday, 6 p.m., we will be downstairs and we will have a community gathering. There will be a little music, a little bit of message, a lot of conversation, and a chance to find out ways that you can plug in and uh, be part of this community, be the church um, as we move forward. So we encourage you to be there, 6 p.m. next Sunday night. We'll be, have lots of greeters directing you to where you need to go. Um, I th the thing that um, I think is weighing heavy on all of our hearts is uh, the Russian invasion in Ukraine. And we can't not talk about that. Many of us here, I know a lot of the Mulbergs, there's others that have relationships with people over in Ukraine. Many of us have heard the stories. They're heartbreaking. I think um, loss of words, loss of knowing what do we do. I know um, some of the video that I happened to see on the neonatal units that were being transferred to bomb shelters. These are people. These are brothers and sisters and mothers and daughters and sons and our brothers and sisters. So um, we want to keep the Ukrainians in our prayers, all involved in our prayers. And because there's so much heaviness going on right now, um, I was going to read a prayer from Jeff Chu that was very, very meaningful. And Patty will put it up for us too. For all who are vulnerable and afraid for Ukraine's people, for trans kids and their families in Texas, for all suffering amid war and violence, for all who feel forgotten, grant them courage, strength, and the true peace of knowing that they are beloved. God, hear our prayers. For all who abuse their power, for those drunk on arrogance, for those who wield their strength with disregard for human dignity, for those inflamed by deceptive pride, grant them humility, strength, and the true peace of knowing that they are beloved, God. Hear our prayers. For all who feel overwhelmed, for those who want to do something yet feel powerless, for those trying to bear witness, for those who are flailing, grant them wisdom, comfort that is not complacency, and the true peace of knowing that they are beloved. God, hear our prayers. With that, I'll turn it over to Matt for the message. Thanks, Debbie. <laughs> Isn't it nice to have Debbie just take a quick breather from the beaches of Hawaii to come and do this tonight? Like, that's very kind of you. Thank you. Uh, my name is Matt Moberg. I am one of the pastors of this community. I'm pastor by this community. And it is a gift in the midst of all the craziness and the chaos and the heaviness around us to still come together as a people and remind one another that you are loved, that you are seen, that you are safe, that you belong. Um, I say, I'm going to start saying this. I said it last week. I'm going to say it this week. I'm going to say it every time I start a sermon because I think it's the most important thing I'll say all night. Uh, regardless of what, whatever content I'm, I'm trying to bring you right now in this space, the number one thing that I want you to walk out of here with tonight is the awareness that who you are is more important than what you do, even if what you do gets more attention than who you are. That, that your personhood, it is far more significant than any kind of performance you might have to offer up. Your essence, it outweighs any kind of external evidence. You don't look to that. You remember that you are rooted in something beautiful, that you are loved, that you are enough. And we take the daily work on of trying to live out of that reality. Amen? 
Okay, enough about you. Let me tell you a little bit about me. This past week, I went to a thrift store. And I, I Patty, I thought we had it this week. I thought I'd get my slides. Can you show the first slide? I went to the thrift store the other day because I'm trying to find these different, sorry, Christian, uh, trying to find different frames for these different art pieces that I'm trying to work up. And I'm looking for bigger ones. I'm looking kind of for the funkier ones. Came across this one. And it caught my eye right away, was absolutely smitten by it, and so for 10 bucks, I bet, and I took it home. Got it home, set it on my table, was about to take the thing apart and rip the canvas out and just have it be a frame that stands alone. When I got kind of up close and personal with it and realized this thing is gorgeous. Like the brush strokes are clean, like the, the, there's parts of it, the, the dynamics inside. It's just beautiful. And upon further uh, inspection, I also noticed that there's a name in the bottom left-hand corner. That name is Corot. At the time, I pronounced it Corot, but that's definitely not it. It's definitely Corot because I threw a Google on it. And upon doing so, I found out this is a man named Jean-Baptiste Corot, a famous French landscaper from the 19th century. And he, he, uh, he did a piece that looks just like this piece that is presently hanging in the Louvre. Now, again, I'm doing a deep dive. I've watched my fair share of like antique roadshow. And so I'm like eyes wide open, like, could this be the thing that moves us from, you know, Target to Byerly's <laughs> for groceries? And so I find out that he's got a piece just like this piece that's hanging in the Louvre. And so I called the Louvre. I, I literally called France. And I was like, can anybody help me figure this out? I don't know. Where, where do you go for this sort of thing? Nobody answered the phone. I actually told <laughs> I was telling my friend that this the other day who's from France. I said, like, I, I called three or four times. Nobody picked up the phone. He goes, yeah, we do that sometimes. <laughs> we, just, we see the color ID says America. And we're like, let's just, let's just let the machine take it. <laughs> So I ended up then kind of letting go of uh, trying to reach out to the Louvre, got a hold of an agency in New York City who apparently like specializes in Corot works. And they were like, why are you bothering us at first? I sent them the photos and then they responded with this email that they wrote to me. Patty, can you show the email? They said to me, dear Mr. Mobert, thank you for writing. The style and the feel of the paintings, they are indeed reminiscent or evocative of Corot but it would take either some research or some analytical work, analytical work to determine with certainty if it is indeed his work. To which I, I replied and said, sort of like when you, when you say it would take a little bit more research, what kind of price tag are we talking about? Roughly $1,800 to get you a yes or a no on this painting. Give or take a few. That's what it would go into it. And so that non-answer is still kind of where I'm at. It's just this realizing that trying to figure out if this painting in particular is actually authentic, that is both an exhausting and expensive thing. But do you know what is even harder? What's even harder than trying to figure out if this painting is authentic is trying to be a person who's authentic. You see that sermonic bridge? Tim Anderson, take notes right there. It's not as easy as it looks to connect the dots like that. But it's challenging to let your guard down and let other people in. To do everything that we said at the beginning of this sermon space when we said who you are is more important than what you do. And we nodded our heads in agreement and like, but like really when we get back in the office tomorrow, we're going to get right back on that stage and start performing because it's hard. It's interesting, you know, I know that it can get kind of cringy when we talk about authenticity. Um, but I always think it's important that we couch it inside the reality that our conversations on authenticity are happening inside of the age of artificiality. 
where we edit and augment all of the ways that we manifest in the public for others to see. We rarely let people get a real glimpse at who we are. We give uh, very manicured and edited, filtered versions of ourselves. Case in point, local TV man Steve Patterson. I don't know if you guys follow him on Instagram. Make sure you do that. That's the second most important thing you need to do after tonight. Steve put up this thing in response to, uh, you know, the whole no filter movement. And it absolutely made me wet my pants last night. Hey guys, um, I know that there's been a movement recently to stop using filters and sort of embrace the true beauty of you and the beauty inside. And um, I just wanted to say, have you seen this one though? Because like what it's, what it's doing to my eyes, my eyes have never looked this good. And I know that from my own life, right? Um, but that, I think don't use them is probably the right thing to say. So don't, but my eyes are extremely hot and I'm attracted to me and I'm, this is confusing. <laughs> Oh my gosh, it's so good, and it's so funny, and it's so true. That, not necessarily the eyepiece, but the idea of like, but if we can opt for a filter, if we can reach for something that's going to provide some kind of cosmetic or whatever kind of upgrade, why wouldn't we do so? Because you're being two, and you were meant to be one. You know, Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, he is talking to the multitudes of people, and he said, you want to know who's really blessed? Blessed are the pure of heart. The language in Greek there, that means the undiluted ones. Those who are one and not two. Those who are consistent on and off the stage. You know who Jesus goes after the most? The hypocrites. The people who are taking other people's lines and performing them for everybody else because they were supposed to be humans, but they instead chose to be hypocrites. I think about these things, and I know it's redundant. I know we have this conversation, but I think it's the truest thing. I, I, I think it's the, the ever-present work. I, I don't know how many different words we need to spill on it, but I just think we go back to it again and again because we keep falling away from what we're supposed to be, and we keep reaching for things that we don't actually need. I'm not going to call out Tim Anderson uh, twice in one service, but I will actually, because Tim is doing this work right now with his blog and his website, Tim where you are asking questions about God that most people are asking but didn't know they could ask out loud. He's asking for us to be more honest, more sober in our assessments of where we're at in our faith. That is what it's like to do the hard, expensive, sometimes painful work of pushing for a more authentic experience of the divine. And it's only going to happen through the medium of your humanity. This is getting confusing, so let's go to the scripture. There's this interesting story where the lectionary leads us tonight. It's in Exodus 34. Let me provide you with the cliff notes of sorts. Moses has freed the people from Egypt. They have split the Red Sea. They are making their way through the woods. They get to Mount Sinai where he's going to receive the commandments from God. So he goes up on Mount Sinai and he has his, his tag time, his time alone with God. That's what we called him when we were kids, tag time. <laughs> He had his tag time on the top of Mount Sinai, and when he is coming back down, unbeknownst to him, his face is like high beams coming out of the pore, like his pores it is like glowing, it's bright. And um, that's alarming for those who are at the bottom of the hill. They had never seen a face lit up like a Christmas tree before, so they're pretty shook. And so Moses' brother Aaron comes up to him and says, hey, listen, ma'am. You're making everybody uncomfortable. Would you just do me a favor and put a blanket over your face so we can dim down the lights a little bit? And Moses is like, yeah, let me say a few words, then I'll get a blanket on my face. And um, every time I go up and speak to God and I come back down with a glow, I'll make sure that I do so with the veil over my face. That is the extent of that story. Exodus 34, you can dive into it at your own time. What's interesting, though, is that we don't hear much about that story through the rest of the scriptures. This weird moment. 
this like departure from reality as we know it, where this guy has the high beams coming out of his face and he covers it with a blanket for, for the sake of maintaining approachability with the people, being able to maintain uh, this accessibility from the people that he's led out into the woods. We don't hear much more about that story. Until thousands of years after it, when Paul, the artist formerly known as Saul, he is writing to the church in Corinth. And he is talking to them about how we are a people now who have such a hope in Christ that relieves us from putting all of our hopes in ourselves. And he says this as he cites that story. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. Did you catch that church? Because in Exodus, all we are privy to, all we have been provided with is an understanding of the story that says Moses put this veil over his face both to maintain uh, connectivity to the people and approachability with the people and accessibility with the people, but probably like also credibility and inspiring a little confidence inside of the people. And if you actually think about that moment that Moses was in, it, it makes sense. Because if you are leading a people out of bondage, a place where they have been chained up in prison for 400 plus years, and all of a sudden you're walking them through the woods against the greatest empire of that time, people are gonna wanna know, like, is God still in this thing? Is God still like leading this or was this like a sporat? Did we get kind of impulsive? Because we're not eating like we did in Egypt. We at least knew what tomorrow was going to bring in Egypt. We at least like knew what the daily agenda was going to be in Egypt. And so is God still in this thing? You have a blanket over your face because God is lighting you up. That would suggest to the people that you would, that he was. That God was still in this thing. Paul says though, like don't. Don't get it twisted. Because while Moses put on the veil for the purpose of connection, Moses kept on the veil for the purpose of control. Paul says that um, we are not like Moses who put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end. He didn't want them to see that the lights were going off. He didn't want them to see that the thing that had lit him up, it no longer was doing that. He wanted to be presented to the people as a hero, but the moment that that blanket, that veil falls to the ground, they'd have to find out that he's actually just a human. And what happens if you show your own humanity? Will they still see the presence of divinity? If you show the slightest sign of a flaw, will everybody start to flee? If you, if you let people in, will they choose to stay close or will they run as fast as you can? We probably have, you know, for those of us who have tried to practice some vulnerability, we've probably seen it both. Some people did not know how to handle it, and so they dipped. Other people, they stayed with us. And there's a different kind of connection with those people. There's a different kind of presence that they occupy in your space because they saw you without the veil on your face and they said, you are enough. You are the one that I'm going to choose still. 
Moses, he wasn't willing to make that choice. And, and I think, again, when we consider these questions, we don't necessarily blame him. But I don't want you to miss how Paul is retelling this story in a completely different way when Paul is going out of his way to talk about the hope that we have. And he contrasts it with Moses' reality. In a way as if to say, Moses was given the choice between adoration and authenticity, and he chose the former. Moses was given the choice to live on a pedestal, have it all figured out, or be a person and try to figure it out, and he chose the former. If you live on that pedestal, if you live without any questions, let me say it again, if you live pretending you have no questions, you might be able to point the people to the promised land, but your feet will never step inside of it. You won't get to walk it, because only humans are allowed. Only humans are allowed. Paul goes even further in this text. He, he really wants to drive this point home, and I don't want us to miss this point here. In the next chapter, he says, let's just be clear. You have a hope. You aren't the hope. You have a hope. You aren't the hope. For we, what we preach, it's not ourselves. Jesus Christ is Lord. And ourselves is your servants for Jesus' sake. For God said, who said, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Pay attention here. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and it's not from us. Paul is saying here that we are these earthen vessels, these fragile old dusty jars of clay, these Ikea pieces of furniture. But we carry within us something that you can't put a price on. We are a people who are, are very basic, but we are connected to something that is boundless. We are people who are ordinary, but we have a source that is extraordinary. I'm just a pot. I'm not actually the power. Which means then, when Paul says in the chapter before that we have this hope in a power that relieves us from trying to be the power, that's why we can act bold. People say we're acting crazy, like you shouldn't be doing that. What if people are rubbed the wrong way? What if you're... You know, what if you step on somebody's toes? Then so be it. It's okay. I have nothing to protect. I'm just a pot. I'm not the power. I did this interview a couple weeks back. It might have been a month or so now. As Christian noted earlier, time is all blur. And after the interview, this guy that was um, asking me different questions about my story, he said, I'm curious, Matt. Like, you are a pastor and you're this chaplain. How did you not lose your chaplaincy gig or how did your your church not completely turn against you when you told them that you were an addict or an alcoholic? Like, how, how did the whole movement not fall apart when you said that out loud? And I told him, I said, it's actually really not that complicated. Because I came to terms a long time ago that I'm just a window, I'm not the way. I'm just the pot, I'm not the power. I am just the basic person and I'm trying to connect to a boundless power. And what I have learned from other people in recovery movements, other people in this community, is that if you are here to help one another, you cannot hide yourself. 
If you're here to try to bring somebody closer to something that is beautiful, you cannot hide everything that is ugly. You have to let me in if you're trying to bring me to where you're trying to go. We are just basic old pots, but man, are we connected to a good power. If we could root ourselves in that reality, if we could actually believe that that is true, that, that who we are is more important than what we do, even if and even as what we do gets more attention than who we are, we could act bold. We would not need blankets on our faces. We could be with God and be with people and look the exact same. Will you pray with me? Jesus, I'm grateful for these words from Paul in the letter to the Corinthian people. I'm grateful for that reminder, Lord, that if we insist that there are no deaths in us, God, then we are withholding resurrections in others. God, spare us from that sick cycle where we end up projecting expectations on our lives as if we were the power. And we don't really get to experience the freedom that comes with accepting that we're the pot. Remind us of who we are. Remind us of who you are. Help us be bold. Help us be truthful. Help us walk without fear. Help us set our veils down. In Christ's name, we all pray. Amen. And one of the things I learned from watching other people in ministry was that the key is never taking yourself too seriously because the minute you do, things go sideways. So I learned a long time ago, I don't take myself too seriously, but I take God seriously. And there's something really beautiful in that. And I think what Matt talked about ties wonderfully with this beginning of Lent. Kate Bowler, when she's talking about um, her devotional that we'll be looking at, says that Lent is the moment in the Christian story where we get to tell the truth. And that truth is that this world that can be an incredibly beautiful place and at the same time there can be a lot of pain and suffering but when we're honest about that when we're authentic in that and we hold hands and walk through it together I think that's when we experience the hope that Matt talked about the hope that we have in Jesus and when we come together for communion on Sunday nights that's exactly what we're doing we're coming as our authentic selves and we're holding on not to some perfection in us but the hope we have in this God that walked this earth showed us what love was about and on the night before he died he sat at a table with his friends and he took bread and he broke it and he said this is my body broken for you when you eat this remember me and he took the cup. After pouring wine into the cup, he said, and this is my blood shed for you. The new covenant come for everybody. When you drink from this cup, remember me. So as you take your cup and you open it up and take out that wafer, please hear these words. The body of Christ broken for you. And as you drink from that cup, the blood of Christ shed for you. And here's the beauty, friends. We can eat that bread and drink from that cup and we can come as we are. 
and God loves us as we are. So together, please stand and join me as we pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our God, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's sing together. If I have. Uh, it was probably a month or two ago. I was uh, at a AA meeting and there was this guy that came in that was a pretty regular guy, and he had like this, this big gold watch on, though I hadn't seen it before. But anyways, we get around to the sharing time, and he starts talking, and he, he starts like peacocking all around the room. Starts talking about like, you know, everything is, is dandy. Like, I got the new job, family's doing great. You guys saw my car out there, and let me just say, I got the, you see what I'm, <laughs> like literally, like it was probably like a three minute, like just celebration of self in some way, and then, I kid you not, he is mid-sentence number 85, and he stops, and he just looks around the room, and he goes, well, I'll edit what he says. He says, what am I doing right now? <laughs> Things aren't great. <laughs> like, I'm an absolute mess. My wife just moved out last week. This is my brother's watch. And he goes, I don't know, why, I don't know what that was, but I can't do that in here if what I'm here for is actually going to be obtained. My biggest prayer for our community again and again is not that you would arrive at some place of theological certainty where we'd all have the exact same beliefs and see God and humanity in the exact, that's not it. My biggest prayer is that you'd feel safe enough to fully be seen, that you could turn to one another and say, this is, this is me, good, bad, ugly. Sometimes it's awesome. Sometimes it's definitely not. This is, this is me. And in this place, among this people, we let our veils down because that's where the healing happens. That's where we actually don't just talk about the hope that makes us bold, but we put our feet in it. We lay claim to it. So let me close with our benediction. Will you please close your eyes, hold out your hands, and hear these words from the heart of God. Friends, no matter who you are or what you've done, who you love or what you've lost, where you've gone or the places that you've stayed. Know that there will always be a seat here for you at the table because you are a beloved child of God and beloved you belong. Go in peace. We will see you next Sunday at 6 p.m.